Hello and welcome to 361, a weekly podcast about mobile tech and everything around it. My name is Ben Smith. I'm Ewan McLeod. And I'm Rafe Blanford. This is season 11, episode 4, and this week we're talking about cars, what we own and how smart and connected they are. And we look at the way Tesla is pioneering crowd data and in-app purchase for automobiles. Chaps, how are you? Rafe Blanford? I'm fine, thank you, Ben. You're a big liar because you look terrible. Mm. Well, uh, You're looking very pale, Blanford. Very pale. I assure you, being British, I'm quite fine. You're quite the, <laughs> quite the fine, thank it you very much. shivering in the corner. Yeah, you don't look well, Rafe Blanford, at all. Yeah, it's all the stress. Too much stress? work? Yeah, well, I, I'm really concerned about having the smartest home you see. <sighs> And uh-huh. there is something else hanging over me, or there might be by the time this goes out live, which I'm worrying probably even more about than having the smartest home. Oh, I see. Yes, because something, something to do with the kitten. We are recording this slightly in advance of broadcast, so we don't yet know how generous our patrons have I'm been. I'm really hoping, please, I'm really please, hoping that please. people will be listening going, you know, we want Blanford to give, give him a massage live during recording. I've even worked out how we'll do, because he will still be speaking. When he's lying on the table, the massage table, it's got a little hole where you put your head. Right. Yeah. And we can just put the microphone, which I'll just prod here. Yeah. That that can just go under where he is. So he'll still he'll be able to do it. He'll be speaking like Yeah, so, and this is this will be right. So you'll still be able to speak, right? Except while, it'll be more while, like a, a, ah! while the lady is doing well you can choose, would you like a lady or a man? Well, and just just for clarity as well, we said the they said the, the listeners can give Rafe a massage. If you do meet Rafe in a social situation, please um, don't please don't touch him without his consent. He normally gives consent fairly readily, but do at least seek consent before before. I noticed I haven't actually Blanford. given consent to any of this so far. Right, but the idea is it's implied consent, listeners, because if we do get to that sponsorship target, which is, what is it? $100. So $100 Just, just $100. I, to be honest, I'm almost tempted to put in $100 well, I, of my own money. I have yeah, this is what's really worrying me. There's, <laughs> there's someone out there who's no, no, I'm, evil, basically. I'm quite happy to chuck in the full amount myself just well, to listen. Well, I'm well just, I'll get to watch it. Yeah, well, I'm just thinking 15000 listeners one percent of those giving one dollar an episode what and that would get us to that is a lot of Rafe Blandford rubbing no what we're thinking here listeners this will either go nowhere in which case don't worry okay or it will actually go somewhere in which case every episode or at least every season you dear listener can choose something really uncomfortable and slightly inappropriate for Blandford to have to do <laughs> this, is a, this is a new, th- <laughs> a new, really? a new thing just yeah. because it's fun right <laughs> Every season. Yes. He with the estate. He with the Oxbridge heritage. So you and McLeod, how are you? you we are having great fun. Now. Yeah, I'm fine. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm in a boil yeah, of time. Right? Fun. I really am hoping there is a bit of outpouring of support for this new Blanford Does feature. Full details in episode three, of course. Cause we, we, Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, check 361 podcast for details. Certainly, I am very much looking forward would, to that. Would we allow any photography, Blanford? No. Just audio only? No. Okay, well, we can do audio only, can't we? And we can maybe, what about a tasteful Instagram shot? Because if you don't know, dear listener, I always do a, an obligatory photo. There's, there's a small cadre of listeners that really like seeing the latest photo of Blanford. Every episode, I do a photo while we're recording it. Okay, and uh, any news with you, you McLeod? Uh, what well, are we talking about the challenge? Well, uh, we'll, we'll, come we'll come back, back to, to that. We'll come back to that. I've got, got news, I'm getting somewhere. Right, you've got some news. Okay, yeah. great. Well, let's crack on then, because actually, this week is a topic that I'm really interested in it's a personal personal passion of mine tell me all about what we're going to talk about we are going vehicular 
Vehicle. Vehicle. How do they say it in America? Vehicle. Vehicle. I think they just called them cars. Vehicular. Vehicular. Vehicular, isn't it? Automobiles. Autos, yeah. We're talking cars. We're looking at the current craze and I think requirement for connected cars because it's been really annoying me. The current craze for connected cars? Yeah. That's easy for you to say. Well, exactly. Well, I went and bought one, which was a real disappointment, I have to say. You weren't crazy about it? uh, The car is fine. It's just the infotainment system is rubbish. Let's get our cards on the table then. What do you have? And right, more so importantly, I, how connected is it? I used to have a Range Rover, right? And it was an older Range Rover and it had a radio. Radio? It had a radio. <laughs> I don't think... Did it have a CD player? It might have had a CD player. I can't remember. But basically, um, all I did was... I had to, Oh, no, no. It had a tape deck. It was 1985. It had, no, it had a tape deck. I had to put that tape converter thing in and then connect the iPhone. Right. And just audio, just played audio. And that was fine. That was, wow. I, I like it. I like it to be binary. Either it works and it's amazing, or if it doesn't work, then you can supplement it with a Tom Tom, whatever. That was great. And now I've got the XC60 because my wife wanted a smaller Volvo, not, not the big one. She wanted the small one because you can park it. But the issue with that is it got an infotainment system, which is utter pants. Utter, utter pants. I was on, I think, season 10 if, talking if, about this. If you don't come from the East Midlands of the UK. Uh, East less, Midlands? I think that's where the pants is a, is a popular euphemism. Isn't it? Well, every, whenever I use other words, you then go off on me. We have to bleep the thing out. Mark has to edit me out saying flipping or fracking or whatever. So not very good is what okay, you're saying. It's a poor quality. It's poor quality. Because I bought this Volvo principally because I didn't want to wait for the XC90, which I think was a mistake. I should have waited for that. And I've got the 60 and it's got Spotify on it Ooh, in the infotainment, right? In the which you think, come on, that's cool. Now, the issue that's is, actually not on your phone. That's an app on the actual car. App, on the car, okay. right? And you think that is amazing until you'll recognise this is a, a parallel with the episode from last week. Because basically what they've done with the Volvo is put a smart TV level rubbishy system in it. So the infotainment system is equivalent to that rubbishy smart TV thing, right? It's really poor. It's like a WAP version. Wow, harsh words. It's a rubbish little version of it. It took me five minutes to connect to flipping thing. Really poor. And then it does have Spotify, but it's really, really, really rubbish. And you, know, you switch the car engine on, boom, and then the infotainment system has to boot up. Right, and then that's maybe maybe five seconds or so, and then it has to connect. If you want, you have to go app, 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 and then you, you connect it. I mean, you really have to be seriously committed to this rubbish. Right, not. I've good. used it twice. Right, <laughs> and it's made right. you that angry. Yeah, and I shouldn't have done it. it not, well, because that was a significant amount of money. Rafe Blanford, talk to us about cars. I can see you in a muscle car. Actually, do you drive anything, or are you just driven? Rafe's more of a backseat kind of. No, he's been in the front seat on the... Uh, you do tractors and stuff like that around right, right, his day, so don't you? answer this question or, you know, just let you discuss no, it for a while. Discuss it, man. I'm having more fun hypothesising. No, that's another thing. That That's the second thing, right, for um, a future Rafe Blanford does. Yeah. Rafe drives a digger. Anyway, I live in the centre of London, so I don't own a car. When you're on the Blanford estate... Yes. ...how do you perambulate around the perimeter of your property? I use my legs and walk. Uh, do you ever go and do the sheep or anything, you know... Personal question. Uh, no, I'm talking about feeding the sheep. Feeding the oh, sheep. Oh, we see, right. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, that's a serious question, Bradford. <laughs> okay, wait a minute. Well, wait a minute. Smith, a mobile tech podcast. <laughs> can, you make sure, can you make sure you keep us in there? Do not delete this. Because right. people will believe he's... Look, it's a sensible question about... You know, helping the farmer out, you know, the people on the land. There aren't any sheep on the Blanford estate. Cows? No. Ducks? No. Hens? Geese. Geese. Yeah. 
They don't take much tractoring, do they? No, they don't. But I do occasionally drive a car, zip car in London, and that system works really well for me. And that's one that you actually unlock with an app when you get to the, the car. It's really cool. It is. It's kind of like on-demand rental, essentially. And if you're in the city centre, you know, that along with Uber and black taxis pretty much cover all your transport needs when uh, public transport isn't appropriate. You can get a van if you're going to Ikea. Get a van if you're, you know, moving or, as you say, doing a big purchase. And do the zip cars have any kind of uprated audio or infotainment systems inside? I mean, what do they provide in the byway of Satnav, for example? I haven't ever used them for that. The more recent models kind of have it as almost standard, but it tends to be kind of CD systems and that kind of infotainment rather than the full-on connected car i've typically just used my smartphone for doing the navigation but zip car don't add anything by way of a service so their electronics in the car is just purely about unlocking the doors absolutely yeah they've kind of got it's equivalent to nfc access and that's the it's not actually working that way um, as i understand it there's a connection going up and down it's smart it just works but um, it's very different from owning your own car where you do kind of make decisions on what you're going to be doing with it because it's something you're using regularly all the time. For me, it's just a convenience thing. Yeah, pay by the hour rental, isn't it, yeah. I think, with a zip car. Grant, and what were you? Well, are you a buying man at the minute? You're in mourning, I, I am. I, well, I currently drive a, a Porsche Boxster, and uh, it's, I, I, I love it. It took a long time to uh, persuade Mrs. Smith for financial approval on that particular purchase. Okay, yeah, and uh, for the car nuts, I've got a 981 model Porsche Box dress, which I, I love deeply. Right, and it's a fast one. It's it's fast enough. I've been in it. I've been in it. It goes. You it do goes drive a bit. Fast. How much space does it have for things? I mean, I was thinking luggage, but there are some other things in your life recently that I'm guessing aren't entirely compatible. That new smart TV. Well, certainly you wouldn't be driving home from the shops with a brand new smart TV. Also, uh, I think Rafe is probably alluding to Master Smith, uh, Smith Jr., Smith version 2, the wee man. I've checked. He will fit in both the front and the back boot because it's a mid-engine car. There's a trunk in either end. I think that's frowned on a little, isn't it? I mean, I can't believe Mrs. Smith is really going to approve that particular stowing methodology. No, that particular plan did get the thumbs down. So what are you going to do then? Are you going to sell it? Well, so the car is going to have to go. Um, Actually, more it's going to have to go because it's also a vehicle where you can't turn off the front airbags, unfortunately. So you you can't put the child's car seat in. So even if if mummy stays home, daddy and baby can't go out in the car. So it's for the chop. But... Uh, I haven't decided what to replace it yet, so actually it's a really good time to have this episode because, of course, I'm looking at loads of different cars. Obviously, they're going to have slightly more seats, but I'm looking at thinking very much about how smart and autonomous and mm. all the various other well, options Wouldn't you normally just naturally just do a Porsche big one? Well, we thought about the it. The Cayenne. Well, we thought about it, but actually... Or Muran, is it, what's the other one? Uh, the Cayenne and, and the Macan. Macan, that's it. But... I love the car. It is a, a, He's a, sitting a, smiling over there. I'm yeah. not sure why. It is a miraculous vehicle, and I love it. Why are you smiling, man? Because I'm enjoying the fact that Ben's having to suffer for a little bit. There we go. Not suffering, is it? But one of the only disappointments about the vehicle mm. is how poor the infotainment system is. And so what you were yeah. saying about, you know, I mean, okay, I, I did does the radio. I didn't buy mine brand new, but it was a considerable purchase. Yeah. And it has a big touchscreen, centre console, sat-nav system. And when that arrived, that didn't even properly look up addresses by postcodes, which is the primary way that you would enter addresses, certainly in the UK. And it had to get an upgrade for that. And it's it very, very limited indeed and slow and not particularly responsive. Mm. And scrolling around the map is something you don't do effectively because it's so slow and poor. And the only thing I use it for is to hook it up via Bluetooth to my smartphone and I can stream audio off my smartphone, podcast, or sometimes I stream radio. 
through an app if I've got poor reception where I'm driving on FM and it has a, a USB port in the yeah. glove compartment for charging things up. But it is really poor. Isn't that ridiculous? Like, does it not, not make you question the mark and, well, and the, the quality? It does, and it irritates me hugely. But what irritated me even more was I was thinking, well, maybe they just think this is a car for driving entertainment is a secondary thing like you know we will just put yeah, it this is our, in this is our, yeah and so it was USB. A, it was deliberate i don't think that is i mean i think the you know speed around consumer tech and mobile in particular has given people a full set of expectations because if you go back let's say five ten years you'll find smartphones where the experience was just quite frankly very poor compared to what we have today and, you know, cars are on a 10-year life cycle, typically when the model first gets announced to when they stop selling it. And so it just operates at a different speed to the, you know, the typical consumer industry. Well, I don't industry. think that's a valid perspective anymore, right? Because I think the consumers are changing that and wanting to change that. And I think that's right. And there has been a response to that from the car manufacturers, but they still are based around this 10-year model and they can't get away from it. And so... There's the aftermarket solution. You installed something, you know, third party or after you bought it. Or, you know, they hand over control to someone else. And this is what the things like CarPlay, Android Auto and uh, Mirrorlink have been about. But manufacturers have been very reluctant to do that because quite understandably, that is a critical part of your interaction with the consumer. And actually just as big a problem is it's a, you know, a health and safety nightmare. And that's, you know, there's all kinds of regulation and compliance around that. And so we sort of sit here and say, it's very easy to get right. But actually, that experience for the consumer in the car is hugely more complicated, I would argue, than something that's sitting on a smartphone well, see, that's I, around glancing or it can give you... I don't you agree with you, Blanford, right? I think, okay. I think you're just giving them too much leeway. This is really simple, right? These are billion, billion, billion dollar companies that can't seem... I mean, look at the nonsense in the Porsche. So you're expecting the, yes, these uh, companies yep. no, don't even ask this to question. be able to yes, do the obviously. same as something like Apple, which well, no, no, you if know, you can't is do significantly it, it. bigger than buy them. Buy it. Simply just give it to them. If you can't do it, which they can't, just give it to Apple. I think the thing that disappointed me was not the fact that it didn't suddenly magically get CarPlay. I mean, that was a disappointment. And actually, VW and, and Porsche, owned by VW Group, have just announced in the latest 911 that they're going to support CarPlay. But right. that's on a 2016 model vehicle. Yeah. So, you know, when, when do you actually get that as well? In, well, in, that's uh, so, you know, if we're going to get so those vehicles are starting to ship just about now. Right. But it, you know, it, it literally but as we record this, no different to the iPhone. You know, the iPhone 4 can't have iOS 9. That's a bit disappointing. That's only three years old. It, it can't. But there have been a lot of vehicle releases between when CarPlay was adopted by VW and now when they're starting to put it in some of their higher end. Lots of vehicles. releases. I mean, CarPlay itself is what, three years old? Yes, but these models are being refreshed on an annual basis. And my point was that when you own a vehicle, particularly a relatively new vehicle, many, many people still use their manufacturer to service and maintain it. So my sat-nav solution is upgraded every time it goes back to the dealer. It's had software bugs fixed, it's had maps upgraded and these sorts of things. And so it is quite routine now, not just for the infotainment system, but for the software generally in the car to be upgraded. What's been disappointing, I think, has been actually the standard that they seem to feel is acceptable. Yes, that's Uh, the uh, issue. Yeah, and that's where I definitely agree with you. It seems almost inexplicable that more hasn't been done from an investment point of view to kind of get the stuff they're doing right. I do think that installing new stuff and getting it up to date is harder than we imagine. As I, say, I think we've been given almost a full set of expectations by smartphones. I mean, we only need to go back, you know, to the pre-iPhone era and all the phones there, a firmware upgrade was something that was very difficult for most people to get. You had to go into a service centre 
and most consumer electronics still revolves around that. You know, you don't expect to update the software in your washing machine or your fridge. And absolutely, I would like it to be better, but I think we also have to be realistic about the level of challenges around this. And it's very telling that I think just for an industry that operates on those kind of timescales to then change its operational heartbeat to operate more on the consumer electronics scale has been difficult. Welcome to the new world. Like, yeah. Let's look at Tesla. So That's live. That's operational. They can do it. So and it's very noticeable that that's a brand new company. It, it, you know, it's a typical thing we talk about with disruption. You know, but this, it's is, yeah, this is the whole thing about disruption. But we'll come back to Tesla in a minute. But the thing that I think was surprising and disappointing as well was the lack of ambition that's in Android Auto or CarPlay or something like that. So I saw a fascinating demo where they were running CarPlay inside a Ferrari. Now, you know, not a vehicle that any of us are likely to own anytime soon. Too small for me. Yeah, not, not, pres- <laughs> not pres- <laughs> Seriously, I went that, that's the biggest problem small, there. Yeah. But the demo was you went into CarPlay mode and then CarPlay took over the whole of the infotainment system. And then when you finished doing CarPlay stuff, it was almost like CarPlay was an app. And then you flipped back mm. into your classic oh, no. nasty onboard computer. And some of the things you could do both ways. So, I mean, this reminds me of the things that sort of wind me up about, you know, about Samsung phones sometimes. So you get the Samsung store and the Google store, Samsung yeah. Maps and the Samsung Maps. storage, Dropbox. Google Drive. And what it ends up doing is, although they're offering more choice to the consumer, actually that's confusing and awkward. And that was what was happening there, particularly with GPS. You could use the maps through CarPlay, Mm. or you could use the built-in GPS uh, sat-nav system in the car. (laughs) They were just accessed through different ways. And I think I was surprised at how poor and how slow they've been to adopt it. I said that I saw recently, Rafe, was some commentary by the US motor industry saying that now when people go into a dealership to tour it by a car, they're more interested in their smartphone integration and that is driving more purchasing decisions than the performance of the vehicle itself. Yeah, and doesn't surprise me in the slightest. It'd be interesting to know whether that's more around kind of the streaming of content, which I think is quite personal, or whether it comes into the calling and everything else. Because there's a lot of talk of connected car apps, but actually making one specific for each manufacturer would be very difficult. And is Apple or Google expected to do that? No, do you remember BlackBerry? Who? BlackBerry, come on. Oh, RIM. Rim. Oh, yeah. Research and Motion. Mm. <laughs> no, I went to a BlackBerry World, one of the last BlackBerry Worlds that I attended, somewhere in, I think it was... The seventh circle of hell. <laughs> <laughs> That was Orlando. Oh, that's the, the same thing. the corner yeah, nearby. That's the sixth circle of hell, isn't it? You have, to, um, you have to take one of the interstates. To it was really nice. Yeah. It was the World Centre Hotel, very nice. And they had a car there. I think I sat in it, and what? And I think I did record a video of this. And their plan was the QNX, their kind of Unix, Linux version. They were putting it in the car. But what they were saying is, look, all we're going to do is take a video output and a an audio output from the device. And then everything else is going to be real VNC. So we'll real VNC your handset because we don't know in, in five years what operating system, what anything will be running on it. So it's much better to just take over the screen of the car and then you need audio and potentially video. And that's it. That sounded to me like quite a smart methodology. And, and that's the way that Miralink works. But that's come from the car industry. And that's why it's sort of had quite wide adoption, despite the fact that most consumers actually prefer CarPlay and Android Auto because it's what they're familiar with mm. from the smartphone world. And it is an important point here that these are systems that will be expected to last 10 years. 
And so, you know, what does that compatibility look like in 10 years? And making it backward compatible might not be impossible, but you also have to bear in mind that we don't actually know what the smartphones and the devices will look like in 10 years' time. And this applies both to this direct connection, but also, of course, the other side of connected cars is the apps that live on the handsets for when you're outside the car. And how do you maintain those for 10 years? So we talk in quite a blase way about how it's easy to fix, but I actually think the challenges are amongst the most difficult to solve in mobile. I think the interface one, I absolutely accept that that should have been done better. But getting that integration right and working out who owns what bit and who should control it and how you get that customized in each car is a much more difficult thing. And I, I honestly, I think before it gets sorted out, will be outpaced by cars changing in a more fundamental way. Yeah, certainly BMW, amongst others now, are making companion apps for their cars, which mm. allow you to heat them up in cold climates Unlo- or unlock them, yeah. uh, locate them, check batteries charge for the electric vehicles. And that includes um, Apple Watch versions as well. And uh, I have to say... That, that sounds great, but maintenance nightmare, because in 10 years' time, there'll be the new devices, but they'll also be the old ones. And what level of support and how do you get that maintenance? And for anyone who's run an app project, you know, 10-year timescales are almost impossible to deal with. How much of a problem is that? Because as long as it's positioned to the customer as this is a current offering, because what if you don't have an Apple Watch? You you can't use that. I'd be pretty annoyed if if it just stopped working. I mean, I think the expectation is if it's there from day one, you expect it Uh, to be there. I think they need to provide the API. But I don't see why they need to worry about whether or not you've got an Apple Watch or a phone. I think it's an option. As long as they provide access to it for the lifetime of the car, I think that's fine. But they don't have to worry about... I I don't think consumers care about that. They just concern themselves with the client and they would blame BMW if they can no longer suddenly unlock their car or they buy a new phone. Would they blame? I'll just go, that's it. doesn't matter. Okay, so it's an opportune time to talk about Tesla, Mm. uh, Californian car company. Yes, please. Um, And... Obviously, Tesla's drawn a lot of attention really for making probably some of the best-known electric vehicles and and some of the most exciting from my perspective, although there are plenty of other firms catching up and they nearly killed the UK car company Lotus on the way to doing it by robbing so much of their talent. It's fine, the British are quickly forgiving. Um, um, (laughs) Yeah, thanks, Tesla. Yeah, thanks. Your 100,000 cars. Where was Lotus going? Lotus obviously makes uh, niche sports cars, but they actually make most of their money from consultancy. They help other auto manufacturers design and build cars. And a lot of their experts were stolen away by Tesla around the time of the first Tesla car. Interesting. Because somebody went, just like Apple, would you like to work in a very wet bit of the UK in a tin shed? Or would you like to come to California? Hmm, Let me think about that. Yes, please. Indeed, indeed. And Tesla cars are interesting. But the reason we wanted to talk about them is twofold, really. Rafe, one is they do very regular software updates. Software is a massive part of the vehicle, both the infotainment and control surface that's right dominant in the middle of the vehicle, right down the centre console is a huge... iPad style, well, bigger uh, than iPad. iPad it's it? about 17-inch yeah. diameter screen. Uh, Basically, everything's a screen. Everything is a screen, and that's a trend that other manufacturers are beginning to copy because it's, it's a, it makes for quite a immersive experience, whether or not it's... Uh, worrying in a cup. Well, exactly, whether or not it's <laughs> safe. Several people have commented, actually, that it can be distracting from driving. But the other thing, and, and perhaps less commented on is that Tesla gathers a huge amount of information from its fleet and uses that to inform its software updates and that as far as I'm aware is in private vehicle ownership away from the commercial fleets of vehicles is pretty rare. It is I mean we could call this kind of collection of crowd data to then improve things and the only other place we really see this is in map collection and actually all the manufacturers do this to some extent but don't really take advantage of it so where it is used is in here maps for example they have thousands actually it's millions of what they refer to as probes which are 
data points, but they're using it to construct more accurate maps. What Tesla's doing is to understand driving behavior, how people use the features, and then essentially prioritize development accordingly. And they made the headlines recently for releasing their self-drive update, you know, sort of autonomous driving. And actually, it was more around staying in a lane and doing some clever tricks to not drive into the back of the cars. But you did see all the YouTube videos with people taking their hands off the wheel and doing everything they were not supposed to. But Tesla then collected data about how that was using and subsequently issued an update cutting off some of the features so it actually became less capable. But you also see that for all their other systems around the infotainment and mm. the sort of stuff you get into the car. And I think that's really interesting. But also can they you use it... Can you get 361 on, on your Tesla? Yeah, there's, yes, a, there's a web browser. Yeah, you could, you could go to the website and stream Are it. Are there any Tesla listeners? Oh, if, you've got, if you've got a Tesla, I want to see the 361 can, site. Can, we, can you show us 361 yeah. on the console? The thing that I think is interesting about the software and the Tesla, and you were talking about this, Ben, is effectively it's software is hardware. And you're seeing this in a lot of electric vehicles where the traditional car bits have been replaced by software. And that's allowed Tesla to kind of tune performance and the way things work actually after the car is less the factory. So, so the reason this came up, Ewan, was I was looking for a car to buy and I thought, oh, wouldn't it be amazing to buy a Tesla? Mm. And, and it would be, but having it, Ewan is waving the Model X at me, which is their SUV. That's what you need. Yes, it's not quite available in the UK 3.2 seconds. And it's, it's not to 60. They're rather expensive in the UK. But yes, it's a fancy looking vehicles. Mm. But when you go through, I mean, first of all, you buy it almost completely online, which is a, a yeah, weird love experience. It. To love it. But there's this amazing feature where it says, would you like, um, I'm trying to think, but would you like um, insane mode performance, which is yeah. one of the things uh, you I'm can, like, yes, please. Yeah. <laughs> but, and it tells you a price. And then it says, yeah. or a slightly higher price to switch on later. And you can license these features yeah, really and buy smart, them and it? enable them in the vehicle because so much of the vehicle <laughs> is software. And Rafe, you're right. In an electric car, the clutch and various other things that are mechanical components in most other cars, and obviously the Tesla doesn't have a traditional clutch, but the performance and the, the characteristics of the car, that are, for example, in my car, are determined by the performance characteristics of its mechanical components. They're all just, you know, they're all just yeah. controlled in software. Yeah. And I, I find it fascinating that there's these almost artificial constraints, and they're just like subscription levels. And the fact that that's going really to be switched on and off, it's almost like the extension of that is for the weekend. Do you buy the sports mode option just for a few days? Now, I don't think it gets that far, but it does change the relationship that you have with the car, and more importantly, with the manufacturer. And it's a, a great way to actually sort of suddenly the manufacturer becomes much more relevant in your life. And you know, there is obviously a, a cost implication for that. And I'm willing to bet it does great things to Tesla's business model in terms of margins. And uh, for a long time, you've been able to chip or change the programming of the computer in your car. And it's, it's not been a, a supported thing to do. And But, you know, tuning companies have produced performance-enhancing chips and things like that. And, of course, vehicles have long used the same powertrains and components and have electronically or by changing changing the performance, you know, through the way that they're installed, have, have artificially sort of separated products. So, you know, like, for example, um, there's a whole bunch of BMWs across a range that have the same engine and just different performance characteristics almost sort of enabled on the car. So, you know, now Tesla have turned that from a way to artificially separate lots of different models, which they don't have, into a feature that they can sell you. Just a little bit of context and a little quiz, pop quiz, okay? How much is a 70D? That's the entry level. How much is that? About 65,000. Blanford? I will say 68,000. That's 55,000 plus 
£380. Oh, there you go. Bargain. It's 55k. Now, what is that financed over six years? What do you think? What, about £500 a month? Thereabouts, yeah. £636 a month. There we go, yeah. Or over four years, years for £905 a month. This is an expensive vehicle, especially in the UK where prices are a bit disproportionate. Well, exactly. But, but let's just go back to that crowd data piece because a minute ago, Rafe, we were saying that well, we have to be careful about you know the electronics inside of a vehicle and linking it to smartphones and those sorts of things because it needs to have a 10-year span. But on my Tesla, from day one, your expectation is being set that you might be offered new features to purchase in the future and that it's going to be constantly refined and updated. So with Tesla, I, I'm almost got this service or this subscription arrangement with the software in the vehicle and the software is so much more than the software in traditional vehicles it could change the whole performance characteristics of the car and i think that is the way of the future although i would point out with the tesla with the autonomous driving that only applied to models produced after a certain date and so even there there was this kind of you know if you were driving an older version you know, and in, in that sense, it's even more frustrating because it, to all outward appearances, appears to be exactly the same car. And actually, you know, the versioning is much more controlled by the software than in a traditional car. But don't get me wrong, it's the right approach. And I love the fact that they kind of reset expectations. I think they were able to do that partly because they were, you know, a new entrant and therefore were starting from a blank slate. How much of a problem is that for the other manufacturers? I think legacy and, you know, that traditional infrastructure that you've had is always going to be a problem. But it's, I mean, Ben alluded to earlier, it's also about, you know, recruiting people with the right mindset. And I think Tesla's had the visionary leadership, not just from Elon Musk, but from others in the industry. And so has kind of been the place to go if you want to develop an electric car. And there are a couple of others who are working on electric cars who you think they're going to attract the best talent. And that gives them an inherent advantage. But it's also the selling of the car. Right, and then the support of the car, and then particularly when it comes to electric cars, the superchargers or the um, the, you know, yeah, the, the, ch- the charging petrol stations, like, and, yeah. and it's kind of like an Apple-like model. They've skimmed off the top of the market, and yeah. actually Tesla has been moving downwards, albeit you know still very high end. Yeah, but know. every car they produce gets them lower. And I find it fascinating that one of the most interesting things that Tesla has done is actually innovate around the battery technology with its kind of Gigafactory, which is now going to be selling batteries and that technology to others and indeed is putting them into the home as kind of big batteries effectively for the power for for the home and so people sort of concentrate on the aesthetics and the kind of you know coolness of tesla but there is also a lot of technology innovation in there and it's breaking new ground i'd love to see that learning tech transfer across the industry much more quickly because you can buy a rolls royce these days which adjusts its gearing ratios based on your gps location and it's a knowledge about whether or not you're about to go up or down a hill and that is clearly a very premium feature in a very big heavy car and, and so it gives you benefit for it but actually that car is collecting information about what gear it needed to be in and what the gradient was like and those sorts of things. And that every vehicle is collecting huge amounts of data and that in turn could be collected and shared in some beneficial way. But it seems to me that A, the cars aren't tooled up to collect it at the moment, but also there's no connectivity. And so this comes back to the point where actually it's not just a consumer beneficial thing to plug in a smartphone and get a nice entertainment experience. If manufacturers couldn't persuade us to plug in our phones, they've got a pipe of data that they could sell and improve their vehicles with. I think we're actually on the cusp of that. And I don't actually think it takes people plugging in a smartphone because in a lot of markets, we're seeing the e-call in the EU and equivalent elsewhere, meaning it's going to be mandated to have a SIM card or a connection 
in your car. And the reason the German car manufacturer is bought here, which is the mapping asset from uh, Nokia, is precisely because they realise they are going to need kind of a central place to have that data and to have much more accurate maps as we move towards autonomous vehicles. And here already talk about how they will collect kind of driving data from going around a particular corner or junction and understand where the breaking point is. So theoretically, they can start warning people or use it in autonomous vehicles. And I think we'll see much more of that. I think you're right that the frustration hasn't got there yet. But it extends beyond the cars. I mean, actually, this can be used by urban planners to think about where should they put signs up to say this is where you start braking or this is the traffic light sign or, you know, where you put it for, you know, directions and things like that. And it then goes beyond that in terms of pollution levels and thinking about how you deal and manage with those. And so basically what you do is you put some software in your car so that it passes all the pollution emissions tests when it's in the lab. I'm not sure that's an entirely approved technique, but uh, I did think it was really interesting that some of the VWs actually could do the -the over-the-air update, but a lot of them had to be taken back. That was entirely disconnected, of course. Fix that particular problem. But um, I think that's an example of the sophistication of cars that that can go on for so long, even now. So, you know, we talk about these cars being smart and connected. Don't get me wrong, they're actually incredibly sophisticated now. I mean, some of these cars, you know, most modern cars coming off the production line will have 20 to 30 computers in them, which, I mean, amazing when you think about it. And the fact they do so little as we perceive it is perhaps a little unfair and disingenuous of, of us. Okay, so uh, we should move on. But before we come up to our, our final topic, and we're desperately short for time again, quick smartest home update. Oof. Rafe Blanford. So I installed the uh, Smart Things Hub and some of the sensors, Ooh. and I've now got lights switching on and off automatically when I, I walk into rooms. And how are they coming on and off? So they've got motion sensors and open and closed door sensors. And so I've set up triggers essentially to say do that. And the thing I liked about smart things was you can install what they refer to as smart apps, which basically have either preset routines or various things that you can put together. So I have a gentle wake up, which will slowly... <laughs> inc- butler just... Yeah. Sir, excuse, sir, me, excuse me, sir. Excuse sir, me. Sir. Which slowly increases the illumination from a Philips Hue light bulb. Oh, interesting. And then also turns on the Sonos speaker, tunes it to Radio 4. Of course. Of course. Da, 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 the gentleman's da, 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 that's, that's And in the, then as I walk out the bedroom, it will then play a weather forecast for da. that particular day. Oh, now, now see, I, started off, I started off being not impressed, and now I am impressed. And how is that weather forecast being triggered? Yeah. So I walk and past the motion sensor that's in the hallway, and it knows I've got out of bed and therefore I'm exiting. So the first time I do that each morning... Where, where does it, it will, play it, though? On the Sonos speaker. And what is it just a human, you know, like there is a... Uh, it's a sort of American voice. And it's a bit clunky and it's in Fahrenheit, but I start to see the possibilities of why people that get so cool. excited cool. about smart home. I also mentioned I chose smart things because it is sort of relatively open standard. I had quite a bit of, uh, I think, fun in inverted commas, getting it to work with my weather station, which is Netatmo, which isn't officially supported in the UK very well yet. And so I actually had to copy the code for a smart app from the US into the UK 
change the configurations so it would look at the right server because there was a EU server and a US server and then muck about with it. Simple, so it's the sort of thing that no one else would yeah. want to play with. But now as a result, I have, if I look at my smart things, I can see the temperature in various rooms where there are sensors. I can see motion and that's also set up for a security point of view. So I'll get an alert if it detects movement when I'm not there and that kind of thing. So we're short for time and we'll, we'll talk more about this in the later season. But so I'm feeling smug about having the smartest home. In one word, has your fancy detection system turned the lights off because you haven't moved watching TV in a room yet? Uh, <laughs> you no, done something wrong because I've actually set it so it's only turning lights on at the moment. I'm still manually turning things off because oh, I you need can't to... live in the smartest home if you have to turn your own lights off. So, so I've actually got to work quite hard on setting up the rules and things like that. The other problem is I've only got a couple of light bulbs that are smart and so there are still a lot that are relying on physical switches. One of the things I discovered is you can put something in the switch to make all the dumb bulbs become smart, yes. but that requires you have a, a neutral wire in your wiring system, which most UK houses don't have, and so you have the option of doing all the bulbs. So I'm working on it and I will be reporting in a future episode how I'm getting on with some of these more fancier integrations. Reports coming in from Rafe's very well-illuminated house where bulbs only ever switch on. You and McLeod? Right, so I haven't committed as yet. Oh, oh come on. No, 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 I'm well, just doing my research. Happen, He's going to wait till episode eight and then go, I've spent a million pounds. I'm, I'm actually quite close to that type of... <laughs> just, uh, so I, I was looking la just last night, one o'clock in the morning, I'm on Amazon yeah. browsing, thinking, is it Philips Hue? Do I start with Philips Hue or do I start with Wemo, the Belkin one? Now I'm just seeing a lot of advertising around for Nest. So I just haven't decided yet, but when I do it, I think it's going to be big, right? Um, I'm still flirting with the idea of Lightwave RF for the power and the lights, but I do like the sound of Philips Hue. That looks pretty cool. And I like the fact it is reasonably compatible, but then I do like the Wemo stuff, but then I think, oh, Philips Hue probably know more about light bulbs. So basically, I think what you're saying is he's made no progress since his update. So he's got a very dumb just, house at the moment. I've got the Sonus. You I already had that. I, don't don't not, try and take no, credit I already for that. Had you that. already I had that. No, I'm happy to say I already had that. Just don't you go change the rules, Blanford, like you did last time. Yes, yeah, so I, I stand by. But what about you? How are you well, I, I've made marginally more progress than you. I've ordered some Lightwave RF. So <gasps> Have you? Yeah, I've Interesting. I, I, I've decided... Are you going to do the install? Yeah, I am. Wow. Now, but I'm going to keep it really simple. Put the power off first. <laughs> well, so I'm going to keep it <laughs> going to keep it really simple, and see, first of all, see if it works before I then go and do everywhere. Well, it light switches. Or? Uh, no heating. So Ooh. I talked to you about it last time about oh, there's nest. Don't make it easy, stuff. do you? Well, so I'm just going to do one radiator in one room, yeah. and I'm just going to see if it works. And I figure that then I can just try it out, see if it works, and then if it does, I can expand Have it. Have you bought the box as well then? So I basically I've bought all the bits which connected mm. to the internet and one control so Mr. circuit. Mr. Mr. Blanford estate where they was not looking very happy. I, I'm not impressed at all because the lightweight RF thing is totally proprietary. So trying to expand your home in the future to make it smarter and have it Across it, because I looked at it and said no, because I want to be able to have these actions. And I mean, I have discovered since then it is possible to do some hacky workarounds to make it work, but you're not going to be able to have these smart apps or this if this then that style integration. So it's going to solve one solution really well. And actually, this is the big problem I've discovered with smart home. If you want to solve one particular problem, it's great because you can get a nest, you can get a hive, you can get you know the door bot or you can get the uh, you know, home security systems. As soon as you start wanting them to work together, there are a couple of options out there, and the Z-Wave, Zigbee, 
is then a bit of a do-it-yourself, plug it all together, which is the approach I'm taking. Then there's the work with Nest, which is great, but it requires some fairly significant investments and they're not cross-compatible. And and that was the problem is that I've been reading these automated home websites and you know, sort of reading the reviews, and they're full of people who want to spend their entire lives writing complicated rule sets yeah, that are very, very tailored to their lives. And I just don't think I have the time or the energy, and I want some simple yeah. things to happen. So I'm wondering at the moment whether or not what I would do is make each thing individually work well, but I'm not going to try and tie them together because actually they're all going to be things that are in constant operation. Have you know, seen British Gas? I've. I, I, ju- I just did a post on MIR today, or Roland. It actually, right. Te- yeah. technically, honest. Yeah. technically, they've got a whole lot of new stuff, including Hive Active Heating 2. Well, that's the, the new thing, right? Active plugs, motion sensors, Hive window and door sensors, active lights. I've got a friend who's just had Hive installed in their house, so I'm going to go and visit them and try it out. And he's very excited about the fact he can turn his heating on and off from his phone. I'm thinking about because British Gas will come and install the whole thing for you. I'm, I quite like the idea. All right. Yeah. There we go. Well, I might. Well, I haven't actually well, turned my heat. Have you got regret already? It hasn't even bloody arrived and Ray Frank has put me <laughs> off. Anyways, look, we should move on. But we'll be doing a dedicated Smartest Home update later on in the season where we'll go through some of this stuff in more detail. Yeah. Very, very quickly then, because we are massively out of time. Final topic. We haven't talked about Apple at all in this. There's mm. many, many rumours about that they're making automated cars. And we're not going to talk about them because... Actually, the only thing that we know as a fact is that they are working on automated and autonomous cars. Vehicles. So in one minute, and probably no more than one minute, Rafe Blanford, why would they do this? I think that's the question people ask about a lot of what Apple does. But I think there are two reasons we can think about. One of which is the executives and the leaders at Apple care about it as a space. And there's several on record as being car nuts in one way or another and it's been a you know a subject for designers been a hot topic for a long time so you look at that kind of leadership team at apple it's a natural area for them to go to but i think the other thing is uh, you look at the way people spend time and in the us i think the average time in a car is about two and a half hours a day and there is definitely a much stronger car culture and that is something that apple really hasn't got into it's kind of dipped its toe in the water with car play But it's one of those segments that I think makes sense for them. And I think particularly when you start looking ahead, there is going to be so much disruption in the next 10 years in cars that Apple is one of those companies that has the right tools or it's equipped to be part of that. And, you know, it's a a massively expensive industry in terms of the amounts of capital it requires, but the profits equally could be very significant. And so if you're looking to expand Apple, it seems to me it's as good as any industry to go into. Is it, going back to our point earlier, is it an indicator that really nearly everything now, particularly in cars, is software? I think it's a very good indicator. I think Apple's just thinking, do you know what? We can get the hardware from someone else and we'll just create the entire lifestyle, the car lifestyle. Yeah, and you, from there. you can think of what they did to smartphones. Yeah. And, we'll stand on you know, the shoulders of everybody else, do and, it better. And, and see something similar happening in cars. Now, it surprised me that there are other things they could go after, but there are some Such very as, smart I mean, people. It's a good, distinct market, isn't it, cars? Uh, and I think that's the point. And they've got the interest to do it. And it's an area where there's a lot of potential for them to start, you know, because a, a lot of what Apple is about is kind of the interface point with the consumer and that attention 
and the way it kind of improves your lifestyle. And if you know, you're talking about Apple as a lifestyle brand, that's something that's become much more apparent in recent years. And you look at both their advertising and the way they talk about their products. You know, especially in the States, automobiles are very much part of people's lifestyles and how they represent themselves. And short of going into clothing or fashion, it's one of the more logical areas for them to go next. Or smart homes. Because Google's got Nest and all the set of products around that. And that's what surprised me is that it feels there's a risk. I wouldn't, I wouldn't put it that it's a problem, but there is a risk that, that Apple will be driven very much by a, a US-centric culture. Because the US has a unique relationship with cars. And even in other countries that have you know, a passion for vehicles, you know, even the UK and places like that, there's much more of a balance of public transport and other modes. Mm. And also just different expectations around the amount of time that's acceptable to travel. And... Even, obviously, you know, it varies where you live. So people who live in the very rural areas will think that actually an hour or so in a car to go somewhere will be, you know, quite normal. But actually, when you look at the average population, the US is exceptional in that regard. And in some respects, the reason the smartphone was such a success was that it was a universal need. It was so flexible. And I wonder if the car or vehicles are, are in the same way. And yet, for me, Google's investment in smart homes seemed much more logical because it could immediately benefit everybody because regardless of the type of place you live, we all have requirement for heating and lighting and basic services. Shouldn't the Apple TV have been there? entree into all that well it, it, it could already put a box in my living room it could have been well they've already put a box in my pocket so you know it, it sort of doesn't yeah but, but they physically there's one in my pocket obviously and then i've put one in the living room the, the that, that's part. what they're trying to do with home kit but yeah. they found it difficult and it's more fragmented space it, it, yeah. it's tricky but when apple relies on on working with third parties you know think about the motorola ipod uh, phone or, and, or carplay for it or, or indeed carplay it doesn't end well because mm. their way of as you said you you know managing the 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 coal experience doesn't lend itself to sort of being popped up as an app or being in a part of a longer user experience and that's maybe the explanation smart home is that more fragmented you know like a lot of consumer electronics multiple people but the car is actually quite a singular object it comes from a single manufacturer now the fact that the components come from lots of different people is kind of relevant because it's just like the smartphone but it's one of those consumer brands that kind of does bit like the smartphone potentially stand on its own i still think it's a big leap for apple and honestly i would say more than a little bit of risk but you know if you're apple you know you're one of the most valuable companies in the world where do you go next it's another billion dollar division they they can afford to experiment if it doesn't work well fine in order to make a meaningful investment or a meaningful change in the value of their company they do need to completely dominate or completely own a whole segment simply launching a different type of phone or a different home electronics device or even for years people were talking about them tvs and maybe in the past that made sense but these days launching a tv doesn't even make a blip on their profit line yeah exactly yeah okay. i mean the, the car is one of those few consumer products that you can imagine having as big an impact as smartphones and partly that's because it's a much more expensive purchase and partly because of the role it plays in people's lives so Honestly, I, I will be somewhat astounded if it goes big. Just but then again, one, can you imagine Apple as kind of the high-end Audi? Actually, yeah. I can. I'm just worried that I'm going to need to replace my car every year now and queue up at an Apple store to do it. It's going to be expensive business. But at least you'll have in-app purchases for the sports mode. This is true. This is true. Right, we should wrap it up. This is the first time that we've taken mobile quite literally to talk about cars. No doubt there will be people who know far more about cars than we do and are far bigger automobile Please, please correct us. So please correct us in the comments. Please let us know your opinions and please let us know about all of the things we didn't have time to or didn't think about talking about. 
As ever, a few thank yous. Thank you to Mark from Audio Wrangler who edits this podcast. Thank you to Emma Krause for her editorial assistance. Thank you very much for listening. You can comment on 361podcast.com or you can talk to us on Twitter at 361podcast or we're also on Facebook, but don't encourage them. We'll be back next week. Thank you very much for listening. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.